Welcome to episode number 75 of 100 Plus, an overview of 100 of the most important people, events, and ideas of the last 2,000 years. This is a survey of the forces and factors that have shaped today's world, Western civilization, the Christian faith, and you. This series of lectures is based on the idea that if we step back to the intersection of the Greeks and Romans with the Jews and Christians, and then trace the development of this new group as it unfolds through the Roman Empire, Middle Ages, Renaissance, Reformation, Enlightenment, Modernity, and Post-Modernity, we not only gain a better understanding of the past, we also gain greater clarity about the present, all of which will allow us to understand what living faithfully for Jesus looks like today. In this lecture, I will be providing an overview of the 20th century. I'm just a few weeks back from uh, my most recent trip to Israel. It was a pilgrimage with a couple dozen um, others from the church. Each morning as the bus pulled away from the hotel, uh, I had a word of the day. The first day it was immersion. Um, one day it was reflection. One day it was political. Uh, when we went to Masada, Qumran, and the Dead Sea, the word was hot. <laughs> if I was choosing a word for the 20th century, it would be wow. That's not perhaps very profound, but uh, what I hope to capture in today's episode is that it was uh, a time of exponential change. We start with the military that has got a cavalry. And before uh, the 20th century is halfway over, we are, we've dropped atomic bombs out of airplanes. We start, for that matter, without flight. And before it's much uh, more than halfway over, we have men walking on the moon. When I was consulting, the rule of thumb was that every time there is a 30% change in, uh, in an organization, every system was broken. So you had to keep remaking everything, every 30%. Well, I want to suggest that the 30% change was happening almost every decade. So, wow. Now, uh, as you know, if you have been following these week by week, uh, I have not been making much progress with the list of 100 for a while. Uh, sorry, it's a bit of, uh, it's a bit of, uh, it's a, it's a number of things. Um, I suspect the church fathers would actually accuse me of sloth. Uh, they use the word very differently than we use it today. You were guilty of sloth, not if uh, you were sleeping during the middle of the day, as much as if you did not have the, the, uh, the discipline, the, uh, the skill set to say no to things. Uh, the church is in the middle of a strategic planning process. We got a staff restructuring. We've been doing budgeting. Uh, all those kinds of things. And um, then there's just, uh, well, the trip to Israel, and I, I have a book that's due in three weeks uh, for the fall. So I have just been, I have not been making the progress on this. But uh, we are jumping back into it today. And because it's been a while since we've been there, um, I want to back up and give you an overview of what's been going on. And I just want to warn you, the, the pace, I think there's 20 episodes in the 20th century. And we slow down for a couple things. One, I have this very thick book. I bought it, I think, back in the 80s. And you back up to like 5,000 uh, BC. And it covers like a thousand years in a line in the book. And then you get to, you know, uh, around 2000 BC and you've got, uh, it's breaking things out by um, every line 
every, it's got a box and it's looking at a variety of things that were happening. Then it's got history, it's got science, it's got the literature, it's got uh, technological advancements, it's got uh, philosophical insights. So it's sort of, you just got this big grid. <clears throat> and now when you get to about 2000 BC, it's covering 500 years at a time. And then you get to, you know, the first and second century and you're covering maybe 10 years in a line. <laughs> and then you get to the 1500s and you're, you're, you're covering, uh, almost maybe just five years in a line. You get to the 20th century and you have pages per year. Like, I mean, I can cover, you know, I can cover 3,000 years in, in a couple paragraphs. And now as we get to the 20th century, I've got, you know, 20 pages to just cover a decade. So there's a lot of things that are going on uh, because, of course, we know more about what was happening more recently. And also, of course, <laughs> I can't make stuff up. You know what's going on uh, when we get to the 80s, uh, the 90s. Um, you lived through them. So, um, I did, by the way, it was not, I've not been making things up. But um, it, it does slow down. So by way of general overview... Um, we started where the book of Acts ended, and uh, I gave a couple lectures there, the burning of Rome and uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, and uh, I basically, initially, I was doing these very short videos, five minutes, ten minutes, and I was uh, focused more specifically on church history. Shortly after that, they started to get longer, and I said, I'm not really exclusively interested in church history. I'm interested in Western civilization, all the, again, the forces, the factors, the people, the idea, uh, the people and ideas that have shaped us today, so we can understand this moment. So um, we then began moving, moved through uh, the Roman era, rise of the church, uh, Middle Ages, Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, enlightenment. So we're now moving into the seventh big category, and this is the 20th century, also referred to as modernity. So this is episode number 75. Uh, we're three quarters of the way through. There are 20 proposed topics uh, for the 20th century, and then just five remaining for the 21st century. Most recently, we were looking at uh, uh, people like Darwin, Nietzsche, March, Marx, and Freud, uh, thinkers that sort of laid the, the foundation for the movements that were going to come to dominate the 20th century. Uh, I also most recently did an episode on the rise uh, of Protestant missions. So what I want to do now is walk you through <clears throat> every decade in the 20th century. Um, and I want to I want to note a number of things so that you get some sense of the numbers. I think that's the easiest way to try and uh, to use some data to try and help you understand how significantly things changed over uh, the hundred years we're focused on. So <clears throat> the first decade, 1900. William McKinley is the United States president. The population of the U.S. was 76 million. Average life expectancy for men was 46.3, slightly higher for women. Uh, that's up from 44 years of age. By the way, it's up from like 35 years of age. Average life expectancy in 1800. Um, Britain was the world's superpower at the time. The sun never set on uh, the British Empire. And 2% of Americans graduated from college. 
So during those 10 years, um, five things uh, to bookmark. Um, the U.S. was moving out of an era of steam and uh, into the century of electricity. Uh, it's moving into the world of flight. So again, uh, 1903 is when the magic happens at Kitty Hawk. By the way, Sherry and I loved the, uh, the David McCullough book on the Wright brothers. And they were not, they were not simply bike repairmen. That, that's, that is really a misnomer. They were brilliant. And they were building bikes in order to be able to build planes. Sort of like Elon Musk's as he started, you know, an electric car company so he could make billions of dollars so that he could uh, start SpaceX and go to Mars. Uh, 1903 is when Henry Ford um, founded the Ford Motor Company. 1904 is when uh, Marie Curie began her experiments with radioactivity. And 1905 is when Albert Einstein first uh, penned uh, E equals MC squared. So, as you can imagine, you know, flight, cars, radioactivity, uh, uh, Albert Einstein. This, we're seeing the foundation laid for a lot of things that are going to be significant. Second decade, 1910 to 1919. Uh, in 1910, William Howard Taft was the president. U.S. population is up from 76 million to 92 million. Big jump. Uh, life expectancy climbs from 46.3. And I'm just citing men here. Women are always slightly higher. 46.3 for men to 50.9. The fertility rate was down from 4.24. So 4.24 children per uh, per woman. Uh, Britain is still the world's superpower. Germany is in second. And 3% of Americans graduate from college. Five events to bookmark here. Uh, the first was that in 1910, both the Panama Canal and the Titanic uh, are built. The latter will sink in uh, two years. Uh, 1913, Woodrow Wilson is elected president. He is a very famous progressive president. I listen to a podcast that every time Woodrow Wilson's name comes up, they play the theme music from Darth Vader and Star Wars. They don't like Woodrow Wilson. Um, 1914, the Archduke um, Franz Ferdinand is assassinated, and this will set into motion World War I. Uh, nine to ten million um, uh, soldiers are going to die. Seven million civilians will die. This is the first, you know, dubbed the first uh, global uh, conflict. And this is called the Great War, and it involved, uh, of course, um, the it pitted the Allies, so the Brits, the French, uh, the Italians, and Russians against the central powers of Germany, Austria, Hungary. Uh, Bulgaria, and then uh, later on the Ottoman Empire uh, comes in. And uh, it, the, the Central Powers will lose. Um, it's a war, as all wars, you have new weapons, um, and it's one of the ways to sort of track things is to pay attention to what the weapons are. So uh, the Germans will introduce the machine gun, U-boats, and deadly gases. The Brits will roll out the tank. Uh, it was supposed to be a short war. That was the expectation. But both sides dug trenches, and that they proved to be very effective defensive strategies. Um, but it was a horrible war. So uh, C.S. Lewis was left for dead on the battlefield. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien got trench fever. You got I share those two names because there was a, a number of people between World War One and World War Two uh, who will suddenly find themselves in these um, industrial size wars. Uh, the um, 
Freiling, who wrote uh, Lord of the Flies, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, um, Huxley, who wrote um, Brave New World, they will all write about war. They will write about uh, epic battles of good versus evil, but they can't write about this in nonfiction. They all have to go to fiction to try and describe uh, because they just they just couldn't sort of face that. They, they didn't want to relive that. So a horrible war, supposed to be short. Um, it wasn't. The Germans are forced, of course, to sign uh, the Treaty of Versailles, which was very punitive and uh, which will set up World War II. Much of Europe is carved up. The belief at the time was that if we could get people back into their little borders, the, if we could divide everybody up by their ethnic uh, nationalities, then we could keep people uh, from fighting. Also, coming out of World War I, you see the formation of the League of Nations, which is the precursor to the United Nations. Uh, it was established to prevent all future wars. Uh, it did not get the job done. Um, so the fourth thing to talk about during this, this 10-year period is the Russian Revolution it takes place in 1917. Um, the Tsars are overthrown. Nicholas II and his family uh, are all slaughtered. And this is going to start this wave of communist revolutions. Um, I'll remind you that uh, when we looked at Karl Marx a while back, um, there was this belief that capitalism was going to fail and give rise to uh, socialism, communism, and uh, that this was just the stages that history was going to move through. Uh, that didn't happen, but there was this series of revolutions, and it looked like, for a little while, to some people, like maybe it was going to happen. Finally, in 1918, we have uh, the Spanish flu pandemic, which is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I think the politically correct term is it's the great... Uh, influenza epidemic, and it appears to uh, have started uh, in Kansas, of all places, and it rolled out in four big waves, and 500 million people got sick. Uh, the number of deaths ranges from 17 to 50 million, uh, with numbers going as high as 100 million, uh, making it the second deadliest plague of all time after the uh, Black Plague or Bubonic Plague. Uh, which was back in the 14th century. So just, again, by way of referencing uh, things, in the, with the Black Plague in the 14th century, you know, there were villages where 60, 70% of the people died. And you have kids, 12, 13-year-olds, who are now raising, you know, 7, 8, 10 kids. They're in charge of them because everybody, uh, everybody has died. So uh, the 1918 flu uh, had this, uh, this uh, horrible aspect to it and that it tended to, aff to afflict younger people, not, um, it, it disproportionately killed the young more than it killed the old. Um, so from our vantage point, let me pause to point out, again, in World War I, we have uh, some people fighting on horses, uh, but we add in chemical and biological warfare and a mo moving quickly towards uh, World War II, which is going to have atomic weapons. And uh, the war itself will begin the erosion, World War I will begin the erosion of liberalism, uh, the theological movement. Now, remember I did, uh, I did a podcast on liberalism and I said <laughs> the word gets used three different ways. Some, small l, use liberalism to refer to progressive politics. Some um, use the word liberalism in a classic sense, 
which could be conservative views. It's sort of Western kind of classic liberalism. But then capital L liberalism refers to a theological movement which says that people are inherently good. So uh, it becomes hard in the middle of World War I, and especially as we move then into World War II, for pastors to get up in the pulpit and to say, we are good people, we're getting better every day in every way, you know, uh, heaven is coming to earth, which was what theological liberalism was saying. So um, uh, we're going to see also that this is a difficult time, World War I and World War II, but World War I is a difficult time for the church because you just have got now people trying to comprehend. You've got nation states and people are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian, to be a, a, a patriot in my country? How am I supposed to understand war and all of these things? Um, this is a time, World War I is a time when uh, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, is composed and then those who resist fighting in the service, so think Quakers, the Amish, and others, uh, are treated very poorly. Um, the other thing that you get is um, there is, during this first century, the first 20, 30 years, this idea government and people collectively can do big things. It's going to be an optimism that is going to be growing uh, and continuing for a while. Third decade, 1920 to 1929, Woodrow Wilson is in his second term. U.S. population grows from 76 million to 106 million. Average life expectancy goes up from 50.9 to 53.6. U.S. fertility rate comes down uh, to 3.29 in the U.S., uh, which now, the U.S. now has a, um, uh, an income greater than the combined incomes, a GDP greater than the combined GDPs of Britain, France, Germany, Japan, Canada, and 17 other countries. So the U.S. is now the new uh, world power, and college graduation climbs during this decade from 3% in 1910 to 3.3% in 1920. Uh, two things to highlight here about the 20s, um, which are referred to, of course, as the Roaring Twenties. You come out of this pandemic, you come out of World War I, and there's just a lot of pent-up uh, activity for social expression and being together. So um, sometimes referred to as the Roaring Twenties. Um, the first thing to note is that you have uh, a rise of bad actors. You have uh, fascists coming onto the scene. Um, Benito Mussolini uh, is going to start to advocate um, for some tyrannical things as he's pushing back on communism. Um, of course, you have Hitler and his early climb to power in the, uh, in the 20s. The second thing to note here is that you then uh, head into the Great Depression, uh, economists, uh, the economy remained strong after World War I and uh, most of the 20s, but then it collapses very epically in 1929. And uh, they just did, if you study economics, they did pretty much everything wrong to try and fix the economy. Uh, missed all the signals that, that bad things were about to happen. And then for a while, their fixes just made things worse. Um, at some point, um, this led people to consider alternatives to capitalism, like maybe communism uh, or fascism were the way to go. We now move into the 30s, uh, 1930 to 1939. Herbert Hoover is president. FDR will be elected shortly to uh, the first of his four uh, terms as president. 
Uh, U.S. population jumps from 106 million to 123 million. Average life expectancy climbs from 53-something to 58.1. U.S. fertility rate comes down from 3.29 to 2.69. The United States remains a global power, the global power, and college graduation rates rise from 3.3 to 3.9. Um, three big things to note here. First of all, of course, is the rise of Hitler. Uh, the German people feeling uh, taken advantage of uh, after the treaty in World War I uh, are ripe for sort of a national populism that Hitler championed. And uh, populism is a movement where people who feel like they have been forgotten, overlooked, uh, ignored by the elites, uh, they sort of punch back. And so we see that uh, with the Germans feeling like they had been ignored in World War I. They had not actually been conquered. They signed this treaty, and so they, they come roaring back. Hitler comes to power in uh, 33, and Germany's experiment with democracy ends uh, with a variant of fascism called Nazism. And uh, it's dedicated to the restoration of German prestige and honor. Uh, many people in Western Europe and the U.S., greeted Hitler's initial rise with some uh, encouragement, uh, or at least indifference. They could see nothing wrong with a strong Germany if it was going to help them keep communism and the communist menace of the East in check. Um, and they were not horribly, tragically, I should say, they were not tragically bothered by the anti-Semitism uh, as much as you might hope or think. Many blame the Jews for causing the economic downturn that had led to the Great Depression. Um, so I'm not going to document all of Hitler's rise to power. I think that is uh, probably uh, fairly well known. Suffice it to say that uh, he begins to amass more and more power in uh, Germany and then begins to start taking over. By the last part of the 30s, he starts to annex uh, countries in, uh, in Europe, starting with uh, Austria and then moving towards the Czech state. Um, also worth noting that um, fascism was not the only form of dictatorship on rise during the post-World uh, post War I uh, period. Most of the new democracies that started in Eastern Europe collapsed and were replaced by some, some kind of authoritarian, uh, totalitarian regime. That sets up 1940 through 49, which of course... Um, is going to be dominated by World War II. FDR is the president when it starts. The U.S. population is up from 123 million to 132 million. Average life expectancy grows from 58.1 to 60.8. U.S. fertility rate drops from 2.69 to 2.06. Don't worry, baby boom is about to happen. Um, we're deep into World War II, so it seems like uh, the baby boom is going to take a while, but it will happen. Uh, as we head into this century, Germany, in one sense, is at the top of the world's superpowers, right? They are amassing all of this power. College graduation rates uh, rise at this point from 3.9 to 6. By the way, in 1940, 60% of Americans did not graduate from high school, right? I mean, again, we, it's just a very different day at that point. So... Um, as I said, the big story here in the 40s is, of course, World War II. Hitler's uh, rapid uh, expansion. He unleashes the Blitzkrieg, the Lightning War. 
uh, against Poland, and this draws in uh, Britain and France, and pretty soon uh, you have got this, um, you've got the Soviets uh, helping Hitler, and Poland falls, and there's just this march. Um, this war is different from World War I, something of a repeat uh, of World War I in terms of the players, but uh, you have new weapons, uh, most notably uh, aircraft, aerial bombings, submarines, uh, and you don't have the trench warfare of World War I. Uh, it's going to play out, of course, in two theaters, Europe and then later in, when Japan enters the war in the Pacific. And uh, Hitler is animated by this quest for Aryan superiority, uh, but also by this horrific desire to wipe out the Jews. So we have the Holocaust, uh, which means great fire. And I just, when we were in Israel, we go to the Holocaust Museum there, which is a kick in the stomach. Um, of course, you also have atomic bombs. The post-war deserves some attention. There are a lot of things that are going to happen that are significant. Um, for starters, the U.S. is not badly hurt. Uh, I mean, outside of Pearl Harbor, we're not invaded. So uh, a lot of the world is decimated by this war, and the U.S. is going to uh, really emerge as the, you know, alongside the Soviets, or the Soviets alongside the U.S., it's going to emerge uh, stronger. Uh, the category of crimes against humanity will be established. I just I shared a little bit about this uh, book I just read by one of the uh, chaplains during the Nuremberg trial. Very challenging to figure out what kind of forgiveness to offer the um, the German high command. Uh, you'll have the Marshall Plan, excuse me, to rebuild Europe, which will do a great job. And then there will be a similar kind of plan in Japan that Douglas MacArthur will lead. And both Japan and Germany will come roaring back uh, after the investments that are made. Um, the League of Nations is uh, d is stopped, and the, the United Nations is established. The League of Nations was recognized as failing, and, and the, part of the thought was that it didn't have enough power. Um, you can think what you want about that. Um, then we're going to see the sort of the world changes as all of these uh, empires unwind. So the British Empire is going to unwind, and you're going to see all these... Uh, these colonies, right, are going to achieve their independence, um, such as India, uh, Pakistan. The United States is going to release the Philippines. Uh, the French are going to are going to give sort of independence back to uh, Laos and um, in Cambodia and Vietnam. Lots of things will happen in Africa. Uh, I think there's like 20 countries that will be born in Africa, uh, achieving their independence from France alone. So when the United Nations starts, there's like 35 countries that are part of it, and this is in, in the mid-1940s. Uh, by the time we get to 1970, there's 127 nations that are now uh, independent. Uh, of course, the, uh, another thing that is going to happen that is going to come to characterize the next uh, several decades will be the rise of the Cold War. So uh, the U.S. Uh, is going to enter into this... Uh, this uh, difficult uh, stare down with the Soviets. We're going to operate under this uh, mad policy, mutually assured destruction, uh, have the countdown nuclear clock telling us how close we are to a war that we will not survive. Um, but you're going to see the, the, the Soviets are going to start to annex uh, lots of uh, Baltic countries. So, you know, Poland, Romania, Ukraine will come under uh, Soviet domination at this point, East Germany. 
Uh, and then outside of that, you will see the, the world sort of aligning. Uh, there will be the NATO powers, the North Atlantic uh, Treaty Organization, and you'll have the Warsaw Pact. And you'll then you'll have lots of countries that are sort of aligning with one or the other. China, North Korea, Cuba will, of course, align with the Warsaw Pact and the Soviets. Um, the last two things I'll note here that, that are just important here. We get our baby boom, right? All the GIs come back and suddenly you have this explosion of kids. And then uh, the second thing is that in 1948 will be the formation of Israel. I'm going to do a whole podcast uh, on that. 1950 to 59, Harry Truman is the U.S. president. U.S. population grows from 132 million to 151.3. Average life expectancy jumps five years from 60.8 to 65.6. Uh, U.S. fertility rate is up from 2.06 to 3.01 and is going to keep climbing. Uh, the U.S. is uh, one of the world's two key powers. Um, and again, part of this is because the rest, the rest of the world outside of the Soviets. The Soviets rebuilt quickly. I mean, you know, they, they lost lots of people. I think 20 million people in World War II. They rebuilt quickly. Um, and, um, and, and so the U.S. and the Soviets will, will emerge as the two powers. And uh, graduation rates from college will stay the same at 6%, although the GI Bill is going to kick in, and that is going to change these numbers quickly. Um, also should note that in the 50s, we have the invention of the pill, which is going to change a lot for um, women and families. And, um, and then we have uh, war by proxy. So now we're going to have battles taking the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the space race. All of these are sort of battles that are taking place that are really proxy battles between the two big powers, the U.S. and the Soviets. 1960, a good year. I was born in 1960, uh, November of 1960. Dwight Eisenhower is president, though JFK will be elected later on uh, in November. Shortly before I was born, uh, U.S. population climbs from 151.3 million to 180.7. Average life expectancy bumps up just a little bit from 65 to 66. U.S. fertility rate climbs to 3.58. And the U.S. and Russia remain the world's superpowers uh, and arch enemies. And college graduation rates nearly double from 6 to 11%. Um, so... Here's where, so I've been doing this overview on Western Civ, which of course, my timing is impeccable. Uh, Western Civ is being canceled everywhere. Actually, the move to cancel Western Civ sort of starts at this point. Stanford University, students and others chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. The idea is you got to move away from Western civilization, the study of the West, to the study of global civilizations. Uh, we'll have the sexual revolution, uh, actually the second. So there was a, there's a, an earlier sexual revolution that, that nobody really talks about. I'm going to do a whole podcast on the sexual revolution, but the, the first sexual revolution takes place in the first century. So if you want to go back, I mean, and you can look at this just in the book of first Corinthians. I mean, there's just great sexual debauchery happening in Rome. Roman men, Roman citizens could have sort of sex with whoever they wanted to, anybody that was lesser than they were. Uh, there were no rights for slaves or for women or for 
boys and others that are further down, again, the, the social strata. And so it will be Christianity that will come along with a sexual ethic that will say, no, everybody has dignity and this is wrong and God's design is something quite different. But you will then have, in the 60s, you will have, <clears throat> with the uh, pill and the spread of the pill, you'll have the uh, sexual revolution. Uh, the space race will be launched, and of course, during the 60s, under JFK's mandate, we will uh, put a man on the moon and bring him safely back uh, alive. And uh, we are behind in the space race initially, but then um, uh, catch um, and surpass the Soviets. Um, I read couple years ago, uh, Charlie Duke's book, Moonwalker, which since Michael Jackson has a little bit of a different connotation, but uh, interesting book. And it makes you realize, oh my goodness, that going to the moon and back was a fly by the seat of the pants enterprise. I can't believe that they pulled it off. But uh, other things in the 60s, you have civil rights legislation that will be pushed through, uh, mostly by uh, Johnson. Uh, of course, you have the you have assassinations. You have the assassination first of uh, of uh, John Kennedy, president, and then also the assassination of his uh, brother, Robert Kennedy, who's running for president, and Dr. Martin Luther King, um, who was shot in Memphis. And then we got the 60s. We got Woodstock. We got the hippies. We got all of that. 1970, uh, Richard Nixon is president. The U.S. population continues to climb from 180.7 million to 205 million. Life expectancy continues just to bump up a little bit, 66.6 to 67.1. U.S. fertility rate cools a little bit from 3.6 to 2.5. U.S. and Russia continue uh, their dance as superpowers. College graduation rates continues its aggressive climb, 11% to 16%. Roe v. Wade is passed in 1973, um, and I graduated from high school in 1978. 1980, Jimmy Carter uh, begins as uh, president, but he will lose very decisively to Ronald Reagan. U.S. population spikes from 205 million to 227. Average life expectancy jumps from 67 to 70. Um, And just let me just say something. So, uh, population is going to, U.S. population pivots around four things, right? So the birth rate, life expectancy, uh, immigration, and, um, uh, and I don't know what the fourth one is. Um, oh, a lower infant mortality rate. But so the population is going to start to climb. And of course, if you know, we're 300 in the U.S., 330 million right now. But one of the things that people don't understand is the population is going up rather precipitously recently because everybody's living so much longer. Basically, twice as long today as in uh, the start of the 20th century. So it's not that we're having lots more kids. As a matter of fact, we're going to see at this point on that the birth rate is going to come down. And the U.S. Uh, basically, without immigration, would have a negative, uh, would have a negative birth rate. But... Um, other big thing in the 1980s, of course, is that in 1989, the wall will come down. So the Soviet Union will collapse, surprises us, uh, and college graduation rates will go up from 16% to 21%. 21% of men, 13% uh, of women. 
1975, we have uh, the founding. So I, I missed this. So this was the previous generation, 1975. Uh, we have the founding of Microsoft. And in 1976, the founding of Apple. I took a computer class in college. It's a mainframe computer. Didn't do much. Filled a huge room. And I had punch cards. I also had to learn how to program everything I wanted to do. Uh, it was nothing like what it is today. Uh, jumping back uh, to the next, skipping back now, finish the 80s, going to the 90s. 1990, George H.W. Bush will be president number 41. U.S. population jumps again from 227 million to 249.6 million. Average life expectancy goes up to 71.2. And the U.S. is the world's sole superpower. College graduation rates climb from 21% for men to 24.4 and jump for women from 13 to 18.6. Of course, uh, the 90s was also the time of uh, Y2K, a time of significant globalization. The world starts to get smaller. Uh, I use Thomas Friedman's language. It gets flatter. Um, we have the spread of, uh, of nuclear power, so a number of other countries come online with the ability to use nukes. And of course, uh, in the 90s, we also have AIDS, the AIDS crisis. So that's a big flyover. I think, I think you get the idea, because uh, I, I just tried to sort of document this through um, lots of um, specifics. What I hope you pick up from sort of the big overview is, again, it's a dynamic period. It is a period of a lot of change. Um, there are things that get better during the, the 20th century. There are some things that get worse. It's worth noting, it used to be that uh, you learned your, your trade if you were a, a, a man. You learned how to be a, a wife and a mom and work on a farm and make clothes if you were a woman. And uh, you learned these from your, your parents. You learned, if you're a guy, you learned this from your dad. You learned it from his dad. You learned it from his dad. And not a lot changed, right? I mean, you could go, you could go four or five hundred years and there's not a lot of technological disruption. Uh, we now are seeing massive technological disruption. Again, the computer, the airplane, nuclear power. I mean, all these things are the car, the phone. I mean, people's lives are changing dramatically. And when I was doing consulting, you, you know, one of the lines I used to say is, you know, used to, you know, used to take a long time for things to change. And, and you learned your profession. That'd be your profession. Now you go on a long vacation and you come back and you're like, I don't, I don't even understand how to do my job. They changed the software. I don't, I don't, I don't get what's going on. So it's a time of significant change. It's, uh, it is a time also where the mood is going to change. So we will look at things like the secularization and the rise of nationalism and globalization and, uh, and a rise of swirling worldviews, and we'll look at uh, the change, dramatic changes that take place as it relates to women. So we're going to see all these changes taking place, but one of the ones that I also want you to realize is when we entered the 20th century, there's a lot of optimism coming out of the 19th century. The science and technology, we're going to fix things. Heaven is coming to earth. We're, that enlightenment idea, we're going to, we're going to, you know, Man is the, the new measure of all things. God has kicked off the throne. We're in charge. We don't need religion because we're good getting better. We're going we're gonna to hold hands. We're going to sing Kumbaya. We're going to share equally. War is going to go away. Everybody's going to have enough. 
Halfway through the 20th century, that idea uh, crashes into reality. And so uh, we're gonna see lots of people trying to explain. You'll have different people at different times trying to help us understand what's going on in the world. You know, whether it's uh, Francis Fukuyama writing about, you know, the end of history, if it's Samuel Huntington writing about the, the you know, the, the fact that the secularization theory is not happening and the big conflict, you know, he wrote this I think in the 80s, the big conflict is gonna be between the West and Islam. You just got all these people trying to figure out what's going on because changes are happening quickly. So, uh, we have 20 episodes to sort of document this. The next one, I am gonna be looking um, at the rise of Pentecostalism because we're gonna see um, in, there's a lot of changes in religion. I mean, obviously you've got, you've got the, the growth of the church, you've got the spread of the church, you've got I don't know, Billy Graham, you've got Vatican II, you've got, uh, you've got the rise coming in the last part of the 20th century, the dramatic rise of the church in Africa, Asia, Latin America. Uh, but, but part of what you also see that is gonna change the church is uh, this charismatic renewal uh, the more focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we will look at that um, when we come back, episode number 76. Which, by the way, I'll just tell you right now, probably won't be next week. Uh, I've got this writing assignment. i got to get done. But they will roll out as quickly as I can get them to you. Hang in there. Talk to you later.